0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Underdog Podcast where we talk G5 football and only G5 football here for Underdog Dynasty at SB Nation. My name is Cyrus. Um, It's been a while since I've been on here and my colleague here with me,
1: um, Jared. It's been a while for both of us. Jared, say Mm -hmm. what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? We make make our proud return to the podcast after uh, all the other guys have been doing an awesome job with it this season.
0: Yes, they have. They really have. So we've been able to um, lay low and not really come on here and show everyone, you know, how we sound, (laughs) so to speak. And um, joining with us today, you know, being that me and Jared are on here, that means it's kind of a special pod. And with signing day next Wednesday starting, believe it or not, uh, we have SB Nation's very own Bud Elliott, the recruiting guru. Say what's up.
2: What's going on, guys?
0: Everything's good. Everything's good. You've been kind of busy lately with the – Florida State News, sure. Uh, we tried to get this uh, about a week ago, but you kind of had busier, you know, more important things to handle. So I'm glad that, um, you know, all the great work that you've done, things have kind of slowed down and now we can get into uh, signing day, which is your baby kind of, isn't it?
2: It is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've done this for about uh, six, seven years now and, and it, it keeps changing. And, and this year is, is, is a big change.
0: Yes, it is a big change. And um, what that big change is that we now have a new early signing period, which is going to begin on December 20th, starting next Wednesday, and it's going to last about three days from December 20th to December 23rd. But can you um, explain to our audience a bit, for those who don't know, just what the new early signing period is going to entail and how it all came about?
2: Sure. So uh, the NCAA had it in its mind that a lot of kids who are, are committed uh, are tired of phone calls and texts and visits and whatnot. Uh, after their senior year, and, and if they had their minds made up, they should just be able to sign uh, in late December after their their fall semester is over, as opposed to having to wait until the traditional date of uh, February, the first Wednesday in February. Um, there's a lot of a lot of sports out there that do have an early sign, and I think basketball is probably the most notable. Um, and and so in in theory, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's going to be December 20th through the 22nd. Um, unfortunately, I you know I do worry a little bit about. Uh, Mainly about about protections for the player. Uh, the NCAA didn't allow anything in there, like an automatic out for kids to get out of their letters, their early letters, and maybe default to a traditional time frame. If say uh, the head coach leaves, like you know, maybe if you have like a Bob Vitrino moment and, and you have a motorcycle incident or something, <laughs> uh, there's no protections in there. So it's just going to be on an absolute case by case basis. And, and I would have liked to see him, uh, perhaps the date moved up some to where you'd have fewer kids signing early and, and just basically just a select few per class, maybe kids who, legacies, kids who know exactly where they want to go to school, kind of regardless of coach perhaps, and then also procedural protections to see if kids, uh, if, if something does happen. And I, I propose an idea, hey, let's get something in there where if the head coach leaves, if the coordinator leaves, or maybe if the position coach leaves, uh, then you could get out and you could reopen your recruitment in the final six weeks between the early and traditional dates. But uh, no dice. They're, they're just going
1: wide open. Yeah, when I heard they were going to start an early signing period for football, I kind of thought it would be similar to basketball, where the early signing period would occur before the actual season of play began, right? Like in basketball, you can sign before your high school season even starts, before the college season starts. So they kind of flipped it on its head for football, where you sign after your high school, well, for, for most schools at least, after your high school play period is over right? So I was thinking, oh, that's great, because if a kid gets injured, and he's already signed, then the school's probably not going to pull a scholarship, right? We see that happen all too often, where, you know, the start running back tears their ACL, then they go from having, you know, all these P5 offers to they're like, looking at JUCOs to be a bounce back. So I was a little bit surprised with the selection of the date of the early signing period. And I think that's something that's going to be changed and tweaked over time.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I I figured that I thought that we would see a rolling one, kind of like basketball, where they have different periods. Um, I'm kind of in favor of the signing period, but I, I completely agree with Bud on the aspect of the fact that I would have liked to see kind of any type of provisional where kids can kind of back out of the early signing period if they signed in December just based off of, the, say, like their lead recruiter just left. And, you know, like, um, you know, for instance, what UCF is dealing with, you know what I mean? Like we were talking about the head coaching position or the carousel before. And, um, you know, their whole staff is pretty much leaving to go to Nebraska. Right. So if you're the UCF kids, like, where do you – you're kind of in limbo. Are going to wait for the Nebraska offer to come by? Is that Nebraska offer even going to come by? And then at the same time, you know, schools are really at disadvantages because, you know, what is Scott Frost going to do as far as maybe there are UCF kids who he doesn't feel like are P5 worthy, you know, of um of an offer, you know, and not offer those guys. So where do they – what's their next plan? What's their next step? You know, um, but I, I'm curious to get your thoughts as far as how do you think the, the head coaching, uh, the carousel is going to affect the early signing period going forward um, as far as um, class signings? Um, what percentage of the classes do you think will be signed um, this, in this first go around?
2: You know, I, I put out an article today on SBHC.com and, and we've been asking, hey, a lot of different, different coaches from P5, G5, you know, CUSA, AAC, Big 12, Big 10, all these different conferences. How are you all going to handle this? And and Cyrus, I got to tell you, I was a little surprised at just the, the uniformity of their answers. Everybody is telling me we are going to try to sign every single kid that we have verbally committed. We think we're probably going to have 75, 80, maybe 85 percent of our scholarships filled early. Uh, and they they want to get this thing done now. To them, this is the new signing day. Mm-hmm. The the February signing day, in the eyes of these coaches, is sort of like the the catch-all, the, hey, maybe we've missed on this kid, this kid, and this kid, and we need to go to our secondary option type thing. Or maybe this superstar just refused to sign early and we're going to need to chase him down the stretch. But uh, I, I think that one of the things we did see this year was coaches uh, fired and hired much earlier than they normally would be. There's a lot of times in, in previous years where, you know, December 12th, you may not have a coaching hire done. And now I think all but two two vacancies have been filled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we've certainly seen the uh, early signing day accelerate the timeline for hirings and firings.
0: You know, that's a great point because, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, like you have – I think there's maybe only – I think every P5 school is pretty much done. But I believe Louisiana, um, Louisiana Lafayette, they haven't – they still don't have a head coach. And literally signing day is next Wednesday. Yeah,
1: I think um, I think Kent State's in the same boat as well.
0: Yes, yeah, Kent State as well. So it's like, um, you know, you see, a, a, I guess, so to speak, a, a significance as far as, all right, we need to get this done extremely, you know – quick, as as soon as possible, as far as from the P5 perspective, where you're looking at G5 schools where, you know, if they're kind of going to probably wait back and see what's the offer, it's not really as, um, you know, I guess imperative that they make a hire before the early signing period. Um, whereas in the P5, if you don't, you're pretty much toast. You just essentially lost the classroom from seeing or hearing what Bud's talking about as far as 75% of the class being done. I mean, that's amazing. That's, that is the new signing period, pretty much. Mm-hmm. What what did you – are you in favor of the new signing period? Or are you against it? It sounds like you're kind of against
2: it. You know, I, I – all right, full disclosure from a media perspective, I love it because we get <laughs> – look, we're going to get more clicks because we have two signing days now. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. Uh, as someone who cares about the kids, I don't really like the timing of it, to be honest. Um, I don't like coaches having to recruit, like, like to this extent, uh, during bowl games and bowl game prep. That's kind of annoying. Um, and I think that, that they basically tried to – to split the baby and, and please nobody. Uh, if he had done August, I think you would have had a lot fewer kids signing. So I think the ones who really were set on signing early would have done so. Uh, and those are probably your kids who would stick even after a coaching change, most likely. I, I don't like the procedural protections in there. I think those probably need to be codified in, in a way uh, that, that is better than they've done now. So I in theory, sure, but I, I don't like the
1: implementation.
2: Jared, what are your thoughts on the new signing period?
1: Yeah, I agree with Bud 100%. I was a huge proponent of an early signing period for years. I mean, probably for the past five years, I've been advocating for this. But the implementation, I think, is very off. Um, it just seems like they're not really sticking to who they want the early signing period to benefit more, whether it's the players, the recruits, or um, you know, the football programs and the coaching staffs. So I-, I would like to see the early signing period move even earlier in the year. Um, And I would also like to see a change to allow for official visits during the summer, because I think that um, a lot of kids are having to, you know, make these choices on where they want to, you know, spend the next four or five years of their life without having ample time to get an official visit in. And uh, now that we enter the bowl season, you know, I'm pretty sure official visits end, right? Um, They have the visitation period. And I know, like, in January, February, it opens back up. But, you know, if, if a school's going to move on from you, if you don't sign with them in December, it seems unlikely that you're going to have a lot of options to visit um, in that January, February time frame.
2: I think you're exactly right on that.
1: Um, you know, to to
2: me, it's – I think they are actually allowing that next year, if I recall. Uh, so it, it's, it's going to be the only year true. where you're not allowed to take the summer okay. visit. And, and that was something that, uh, that northern schools were, were very <laughs> – uh, very oh, much yeah. in favor of, mm-hmm. you know, given the given that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, because of, of the weather. Right. I think it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. No, Cyrus, I remember talking with you one time. You were sweating it out that uh, an FAU commit was going to visit Syracuse, and we pulled up the weather report for that weekend, and it was going to be like 18 degrees in Syracuse. <laughs> we're like, well, he's going to fly back <laughs> home to 72-degree weather. <laughs> I
0: think uh, I'm with you guys. You know, I, I love the fact that we have an early signing period. I think it's going to create more parity in um, college football. But I'm not for the fact that it seems to be that the early signing period favors, you know, coaches and universities much more than um, it does the players. The fact that it doesn't have a provisional for, say, you know, a receiver's lead, you know, wide receiver, their position coach, coach, change schools in January and February once the season um, you know, officially over and then they go and leave for a power five school and then they're just stuck, you know, that's not, mm-hmm. that's not fair. You know, it's the reality, but it's just not fair. I, I feel like if they added a provisional where co- coaches um, or players can put themselves back on the market, so to speak, where they can sign with the new school, if the school decides to um, make the change, that would have been, you know, I would have been completely fine with that. But this one, I'm just not um so sure with, um, but, but do you feel like uh, with the signing period as it is now, do you think, that this will continue to be this way the december and then the february one or do you feel like we'll see any more significant changes with the signing period going forward
2: i think it's going to be this way for a couple years the ncaa doesn't typically move to act really quickly and uh and it was already so so controversial to get this one done Mm -hmm. um they're probably going to want to solicit some feedback unless they just have some kind of crazy pr nightmare uh you know like uh well i i don't know it's hard to envision exactly what happened but I, i do think that there'll be a couple of years where they solicit feedback before they make any, any meaningful changes to it.
1: I think part of the problem with enforcing like provisionals, you know, to get released from your, from your signing, you know, if a coach leaves is that not much is officially documented in the recruiting process. You know, we do have that period where the official, you know, handwritten or typed up letters on letterhead go out outside of that. I don't think there's really much official documentation of the recruiting process, you know, from a NCAA standpoint. I mean, it's not like there's some master document or some database somewhere that shows, like, hey, player X at school Y's head recruiter was position coach Z. You know, I don't yeah, think that right. exists. And it's hard to imagine the schools giving up that kind of secrecy and that uh, that operational insight into their program. And also, if I mean, if that was a system like that, it seems like it would be very easy to, you know, have loopholes and to get around some of the enforcement.
2: Now, I think you could actually solve this
1: but by doing this.
2: If the kid wants to sign with the school, and if the school wants to sign the kid, you all agree on three coaches. <laughs> put a, put, them in a letter, put yeah. it in a letter of intent, school signs it, kid signs it. Then there's no ambiguity. Mm-hmm. These are the three agreed-upon coaches. They're enumerated there in the document. Mm-hmm. And uh, if one of those coaches leaves, then the kid can get out of it. If, if, if those three coaches remain, he can't. Mm-hmm. I, I, and look, if, then it kind of eliminates the funny business because you both agreed on, on which coaches you felt were the most important to that. Before yeah. you actually signed the, you know, the signed letter of intent. Yeah, I like that a lot.
0: That's a great idea, honestly. That that'd be perfect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that would cover from um, everyone's butt, so to speak, and um, and you couldn't. There's no wiggle room for the recruits to complain if those three coaches were to stay on staff, you know. Um, but just to, you know, I guess all three of us, we seem to be. Um, to agree on the fact that the new early signing period doesn't really benefit the players
2: um, all that much. But so who benefits the most from a new early signing period? I think it's probably the schools, uh, especially the coaches. I mean, if you're a coach, you really don't want to get a text on Christmas Eve that this kid is, is wavering, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's these guys literally, I mean, they, they get paid a lot of money, but they do work a ton of hours. I mean, some of these guys sleep on their couch in their office a lot and they probably work legit hundred hour weeks. Um, so given that, I think that they're going to benefit quite a bit from the certainty. And there will be some recruits who certainly are locked in. They know where they want to go. The chance of a coaching change is very low. And they are I'm sure they want to enjoy the holiday season and their final semester without having to worry about where they're going because they're locked in. So that there are certainly people who will benefit. I don't want to make this sound like it's all bad. I think there were just some, some things to it that were probably easily foreseeable
1: and preventable that, that didn't get worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'll uh, I'll add two kind of finer points to that. So I think if there are players that benefit, I think it's the players who take care of their academics very early. Because I've heard of a lot of kids who they don't have the ACT the SAT score that they need, and they might still qualify. And maybe in a normal year, you know, they'll they would have signed in February, and no one would even know that they had poor academics. But I think since the process is speed up, these schools can't really afford to commit and take a like official pen to paper chance on a kid who might not qualify. So I, I think it, it does incentivize kids who take care of their academics earlier. And I think that is good. And hopefully it makes the, uh, the kids, the parents, the high school coaches, you know, really instill that, um, that urgency to take care of all that stuff ahead of time. Um, from a program standpoint, I think the G5 schools really benefit from this early signing period. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So to give a, a UTSA perspective here, UTSA just picked up a quarter, quarterback commit yesterday um jojo jordan weeks he is a six foot four 220 pro style quarterback and he wasn't very good as a junior he really blew up on the scene as a senior i think he's taken his wimberley high school team further than they've ever gone in the playoffs they're playing in the state semifinals this week he's thrown 49 touchdowns to one interception for over four thousand yards and utsa was his first offer i mean if there were two months left in the recruiting cycle there's no doubt he would be signing with the p5 school because he was such a late bloomer you know was, he was so late to even pop up on the recruiting scene at all? So, you know, I think the G5 schools do benefit quite a bit. And, you know, I'm sure there's areas where there's trade-off, you know, it might impact the transfer market, the grad transfer market. Uh, but that system, system is set up now. I do think it benefits the G5s who can kind of have their ear to the ground and find these hidden gems and kind of lock them up before their name gets spread around to the rest of the nation. I think you're dead on. Uh, especially because, look,
2: December, January oftentimes is where senior film got evaluated mm-hmm. you know like the staffs are just limited by time and and if you are a g5 school especially if you've identified a kid who he thought it had potential he was decent as a junior he really blew up as a senior that's going to cut down the evaluation and offer timeline of the bigger schools significantly mm-hmm. so that you have a greater chance of signing that kid now does the kid win in that situation maybe Argu- maybe not arguably, i think the, yeah. you know yeah the the one side says know because there's probably better facilities and, and coaching at, at a bigger school the other mm-hmm. side would say look you know you were a priority for that g5 school the whole time they're probably going to build their game plan and everything around featuring you but right. uh whereas you might just be roster filler at you know in alabama or something so I, I could see both sides of the argument but the g5 schools absolutely win in this situation
0: you know i thought it was interesting that you know from reading your um, article earlier tonight and then you know you bring it up on the pod earlier is the fact that you know, there's G5 schools out there that still expect to sign. You know, 75, 80 percent of their class, which I thought is, I think it's extremely high because you'll know, definitely have players who might want to wait out for that Power Five offer if they feel like it's coming. And you know, just from reading your article earlier, I thought you made a great point about how, like, you know, if a kid's the the best prospect in that class, there's no way a Group of Five school is going to pull that offer from them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if they don't sign immediately in in, in December, they're definitely going to wait in February. So I think it's going to be, we're going to see a lot of, you know, a lot of strategy, I guess, so to speak, as far as from the player's perspective of whether they think that they should sign now or kind of place all their bets on themselves and see if they can get a bigger offer later. Um, Do you still feel, Bud, that a lot of Group of Five schools were really um, signing a majority of their classes in de- classes in December?
2: I mean, because this is the first one we've ever had, I can really only go based on what they're telling me. And I, I granted these guys, you know, anonymity. And I said, hey, just, what are you guys planning to do uh, and they're like we think we're going to be able to sign all the kids that we that we have committed which is going to be like 80% of our class it's like just coach after coach and you know I, I see him on the sidelines of high school games i, I see him out at conferences and things like that and just we're going you know, to we call them up on the phone and and i was just surprised at just the the same answer over and over again from different staffs so it was almost like they had a meeting about it
0: now um i know this might be a bit intricate but uh the, you know the the biggest thing that i was really really interesting to find out with the new early signing period as far as like um, you know what positions like oftentimes at the power five level we'll see you know a school like Clemson or Ohio State sign two five-star quarterbacks you know what I mean and only one can play and we're in the day and age now where people transfer you know left and right for playing time and I figured you know with this new early signing period we might see uh, less of that so to speak where we have two highly committed quarterbacks um commit to the you know the same school do you feel like we we will still see that um in the new early signing period bud i don't
2: know it's it's a good question um i certainly think there are some schools out there who are going to try to sign one kid early and then maybe try to sign a uh maybe go after a bigger target late if if that kid is still on the board Uh, cyrus that's a good question I, i haven't really given that a whole lot of thought um I don't know. That's, I'm going to actually write that down once we're done, and that's something I'm going to look for um, in kind of one of the, like, the review articles that we'll do.
1: Nice. So I nice, nice. One thing that I can really imagine happening is I think we'll see more of a kind of a hierarchy in recruiting develop where I think, yeah, you know, your Blue Bloods, they're going to go ahead and sign the full 25 in December because they had the luxury to do so. And I think as you creep down that power structure in college football, I think some of those lower-level schools, they're going to take, you know – considerably less kids in December because they're going to wait for those late qualifiers to come in. And, you know, I think they're like, hey, you know, this this two-star no one, you know, he he was probably going to end up at our school anyway, so why force him to sign in December? Like, let's not send him that official letter in until February, right? Because he's not going anywhere else. And if it gives us a chance to, uh, you know, put him on the back burner and then pick up a three-star kid that fell through the cracks, I mean, I think that's a clear win for, you know, maybe a school like a New Mexico State or um you know louisiana monroe or someone like that who's you know they're not beating many schools out for these recruits anyways and that's the strategy that i was talking
0: about that that's the that's the that's exactly what i was talking about if you're someone who's like in new mexico state or whatever you know you're going to wait it out no matter what for these kids you know um the market is already um you know bare as far as who are you going to be able to get that's uber talented to come to your school to begin with so um, I feel like you really don't have a choice. You know, I, I think Jared you make a great point as far as that power structure of where, you know, the February signing day might just be the new group of five signing. Day. Oh, so that.
1: Don't tell me that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> where we see, you know, um, you know, whatever kid that's in the ESPN three hundred or whatever who might be still holding out offers and then he, he just puts on a, a group of five hat, you know. Yeah, but but yeah. you know, but to be to be serious, I, I really feel like that that really might be the new thing you know it'd be odd to see it's going to be mm-hmm. r- really interesting to see whether you know we have the alabamas and florida states just you know forego the february signing day which is such a huge event and then just you know put it on shop you know right before christmas you know it's going to be really really interesting
1: yeah so I, I didn't want to use the p5 g5 nominer in this sense because i really think you know your schools like the, the florida twins and the ac you know your memphis um, you know, even some schools like Louisiana Tech, like they they out recruit quite a few P5s. You know, your Kansas's of the world, your Iowa states. Um, so I think you know schools that have like really good facilities and a winning tradition at the G5 level, they might sign more early enrollees than some of the lower level P5s do.
2: Yeah, that's entirely possible. Um, you know, especially because you have some of these. You know, P5s not everything, right? Like, like there's certainly a certain number of kids who just feel like they won't go play. G5 but there's a lot of kids I also think don't understand what the heck P5 and G5 of is course, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Like they really don't. <laughs> like they they definitely tell you the difference between like Alabama and Southern Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know like, like if you tell them Wake Forest and I don't know give me a really good P5 <laughs> team in, in that region Memphis. Oh, Mem- I right? Memphis is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know like how many kids actually know Wake Forest is in the Power 5 league versus, versus right. you know, Memphis? Mm-hmm. And not many. Mm-hmm. I mean you know, if you visit you might see nice facilities one obviously but uh, just name wise, I think name recognition they have pretty similar, and and I, I yeah, I, I think that the P five G five thing can be overrated at times.
0: You know that that that's really interesting. You know, do the do the prospects even like the the new early signing period? You know, I, I know that we're going backwards a bit, but some I, do, and, just, and
2: some, yeah, uh, like some kids have told me I'm going to sign early, and then we've already seen them decide to not sign early, mm-hmm. uh, and some I think are going to get pressured into signing early. Look, mm-hmm. if you do if you sign early. You get some benefit, but you also give up some leverage, uh, in fact, all of your leverage, uh, unless you're able to kind of whip up a real PR firestorm to, to get out of your letter of intent somehow. Um, but it's, it's really mixed. It's hard to say you do the kids like it. I I think most of them are, are, are fine with it, you know, and, and the ones who want to sign early will sign, and, and the ones who are like real art, you know, like striding against it won't. But uh, there would be a, a good number of kids in the middle who just kind of do it out of pressure, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's one kid I talked to their parent, and they said that they officially are going to sign on December 20th, right? Uh, but they asked their their coach not to publicize it, and they want to have a big blowout, you know, February signing day because that's when the rest of their their teammates are expected to sign with Division two schools, with FCS schools, JUCO's, whatever. Uh, so they kind of want to sign at the same time as their teammate which i thought, i thought was very interesting and you know i'm sure that's gonna and it won't out, work right it's not gonna yeah. work and this is gonna be the only year where that's even entertained as a possibility so I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how the like the kind of the culture around it develops you know with the the whole signing day rush you know is how, how much are people gonna buy into the december point from like a pr media perspective
0: right and that's why you know the the february signing day is such a fabric of you know college football you yeah. know it's you know, like a month out of the, a month away from um, the national championship game, we get nothing, and then signing day, and then a few weeks later we get spring, and now it's like everything is going to take place. You know, more than likely in December, and it's just going to be, you know, such a change up from going regular season, bowl season, and then oh wait, yeah, we have signing day. You know, these three bizarre, you know, crazy days where we're going to have kids just be committing. You know, at any moment, um, time of the day. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see. But um, but but I'm curious now that you know as we tra- transition from the signing period and we get to the nitty gritty of recruiting, you know, down in the southeast, you know, where we have the Florida and Georgia schools, what kind of prospects you know are kind of like or coaches that are um, you know, really really um, have made a uh made a made an impact, you know, with you so to speak, as far as players who we should be on the radar on the group of five level.
2: Sure, I mean, I, look, I, I think that um. You start with at Southern Miss defensive coordinator Tony Picaro is is one of the I think one of the best early offer guys in the nation. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a camp or a high school. And I'm like, oh, this kid looks pretty good. And you pull up his thing, and he's got one offer, and it's Southern Miss. <laughs> Just like he's consistently first, I think more than anybody else out there. And I think it's because Tony gets on the road and he grinds film, you know, and he's not afraid to talk to people. Hey, have you seen this kid? Hey, what'd you think of this kid? Or hey, I heard a you know this kid's coach was. Was Bragging to me about him, have you seen him? You know, and that, that's what it takes to be a good recruiter, especially if you're recruiting kids who aren't on these like national top 300 lists. Uh, you know, uh, look at look at uh Jeff Kopp at FIU, right? He's their DV coach. Um, he, he came down there, I think he was at like Utah State or something before that. Um, was it or, or somewhere out west? Actually, he was a pretty good guy out west. Uh, so I, I know I'm probably using one of my out west answers here. But he got in, and he immediately for FIU started started hitting the road and just going to high school to high school to high school, and wanted to get as much information on these high schools in in, in southeast Florida and southwest Florida as he possibly could. And that's that's the mark of a good recruiter. And, and you know as, as a result, FIU has a number of kids. You know, it for instance, I could tell you, you know, FIU's top commit to Marcus Townsend, right, at at Palmetto Ridge. Well, he had a knee injury. He missed most of the season. Well, Jeff Kopp made made sure to be at their spring game. I know because I saw him there. I stopped in for like like thirty minutes and uh, and, and saw it. Um, you know that's if FIU, that's FIU's best commit. How many people would have taken that kid, given that he only played half a season and you know was good last year, but maybe not amazing. Uh, but that's that's you know beating the pavement. Uh, you know Rocky Joxley as well in, in FIU's class and another kid I know he's been in on. Um, you know pretty good pretty good pass rusher guy who I think can make an impact for FIU as well. Um, I like most FIU staff, to be honest. I, I think they do a I know F, FAU gets more or the pub, and they do sign, I think, higher-profile kids and higher uh, – certainly a lot more junior college kids. But I, I think FIU is doing a really good job building for the long term, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Travis Trickett, who, you know, Trickett's a name, I think a lot of people know throughout the southeast, his dad was Rick Trickett there at uh, um, West Virginia and then also at Florida State. And Travis is a heck of a recruiter at Georgia State and he's their OC and um you know, does a really good job up there. We we know he IDs kids in Florida uh very well. I'm trying to think who I, well these aren't these aren't really G five guys, but they you know they're kind of newer on the scene. Um Aaron Henry, guy for, uh, for NC State, he's their D B coach. I think he does a really good job. Shoot, there's I'm I, I know if people listen to this are gonna be mad at me. Uh, you know, there's several guys on on uh, on UCF well. UCS old staff. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know (laughs) who the heck on UCF's new staff. Yeah.
0: I'm in Nebraska, staff now. (laughs)
2: Um, You know, I think SMU staff does a good job IDing kids. That's technically not really in the Southeast anymore. Um, Now, Memphis, uh, shoot. Memphis's defensive coordinator. uh, I forgot what his name is. Uh, I've I've seen him. Some of it's just like, hey, are guys there when you're at these high schools, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Donnie Abraham. For uh, for Illinois is not a G5 either, but it's kind of one of those very lower P5s. I don't know if we're allowed to mention those on on this pod. Uh, you know, he's yeah, done a great job. we we'll to make, ex- we'll make an exception for you, but <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know uh, I know there are a lot of P5 or G5 schools that were really not real happy when Illinois pulled the trigger on an offer for a kid named JarTavius Martin out of Lehigh. He's one of the better basketball players uh, in, in in South Florida as well, as far as you know, leaping ability and um, you know now he's in their class. I, I think he's an incredibly underrated safety. I mean he. I, I think the rankings are kind of kind of jacked up this year, but, um, you know, he's the number 112 rated safety in the nation. Mm, I'm going to have to d- disagree with that by about at least 50 spots, uh, you know, personally. Um, but it, there's a lot of good talent this year going to a lot of different schools. I mean, I, I guess we could say that every year, but there, there are guys at the G5 level who are doing a good job of getting kids on campus and getting kids to visit. Mm-hmm. What
0: are your thoughts on um the state of Florida now you know there was a, lo- a lot of bunch of hype you know surrounding the moves that FIU and FAU made and we had USF and UCF and um you know now that it's a it's another year where the group of five schools still for the most part have their um head coaches there and then you have UCF bringing in Hypo. um what do you what do you make of the the, the state of Florida as far as uh, the recruiting trail and what's it going to be like this year now that we're in second year where it's going to be very rigorous for at out of state schools that come in and get um, Florida kids.
2: Sorry, I think you just absolutely nailed it right there, man. It, it's look, FAU and FIU and UCF and USF are not going to beat the Big Three in Florida for kids. They're just not, and people in this state get that. National media comes in and they're always like, "Well, recruiting in Florida is going to be so tough for these Big Three now that you know the, that you know, the G five schools in the state are, uh, are are you know seemingly right and, and made good coaching hires. Uh, I guess we'll see what what UCF does with with, with if that works out, but and I always kind of chuckle and I'm like, uh, it's kind of easy to write yeah. this if you live in like, you know, Chicago, but if you're, <laughs> right. if you're down here, that's not reality. But what is reality is if you're a school in, in a P5 league and you're not like an elite level school, I do think it got harder to come down here and take kids. You know, if you're a Wisconsin, if you're a Northwestern, a, a you know, a pit, um, you know, schools that kind of live down in Florida and do it and take a lot of Florida kids on a yearly basis, I think there's a couple kids each year who are going to say, you know what? It's not. It's just not big enough. Big enough of an offer for me to leave the state. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick an FAU or an FIU or a USF or UCF. I think it got harder to recruit in the state of Florida as an out-of-state school if you're one of these sort of like lower or maybe mid-lower level P5 schools.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, we saw that a lot. You know, just last year, I know that um, Illinois and Lovey Smith. You know. they've been doing pretty, you know, they've been really, I guess, trying to get into South Florida um, specifically, I believe, um, St. Thomas. And um, I know they had uh, another kid, Epstein. I forgot what high school he went to. I don't think it was Heritage. But they've been, you know, doing – they've been trying to get into South Florida. And then FAU's biggest commit, you know, just a few years ago was Devin Singletary. And he was an Illinois commit, and then he flipped last minute. And I think that's where we're going to see where a lot of Group 5 schools are going to make their heyday as far as keeping those kids in the state. Because a lot of the times, you know – those players can make a huge impact at the group of five letters level, so to speak, versus, you know, like you said, taking the chance and going out of state and maybe, maybe not, you know, thriving there. Um, Jared, what were you going to say? I know I, I uh, cut you off.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I laughed at all those articles because, okay, maybe Miami has one less kid walk on that, like, is good enough for play, right? Like, that's <laughs> going to be, like, the only real impact. So, I mean, I, I just totally agree with you guys. I, I think that it just makes it a lot harder for out-of-state schools to to poach good players, and uh to kind of transition to the southwest that we were going to talk about next i think we're seeing the same thing in texas with kind of a renaissance at at unt uh you know utsa is getting their act together you know rice is making a coaching change now um louisiana tech's been solid as always so i I think a lot of that talent that louisiana texas talent is starting to stay there you're seeing less and less kids that are highly recruited leave to like those lower level big 10 schools right absolutely Uh, i think you're, you're seeing largely the same effect um Shoot, uh, uh,
2: Seth Seth at North Texas. Luttrell, uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. doing a great job there. I mean, they turned that program around. Frank Wilson at UTSA, I think, is doing a tremendous job uh, recruiting. I think Rice will probably get a a bump with, with Bloomgreen coming in there. Uh, that's an interesting hire. You know, he's a guy actually from Tallahassee uh, who, you know, has been out west now for a while at Stanford. Um, shoot, I'm missing some other ones. Uh, look, Houston, I, I think. Recruiting wise, I I don't know that Applewhite is is the same you know level that Herman was, but right. you're still in Houston and you're yeah. still going to get a number of good kids. And that name uh, resonates with kids too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, SMU. Look, the name Dykes certainly in in the state of Texas gonna resonate. Now nationally, people I'm sure some people said eh, I don't know about that higher, but. Look, it was very clear he wanted to leave Cal. From like, like mm-hmm. all the people that talked to agents right. and whatnot, it was like, <laughs> "Hey, Sunny Dykes would, would leave Cal probably like hitchhiking if he could." <laughs> right. You know, back in the day, yeah. and I think Cal kind of got tired of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, look, if he if his thing really was, I want to be back in Texas, then he'll probably do a pretty good job in, in, in you know being back in Texas.
0: But uh, what kind of uh, sleeper recruits um, are you feeling in this class as far as guys who you feel like um, are being overlooked at the Power 5 level who don't necessarily have the offers that, you know, their play probably warrants and it might end up at the Group
2: 5? Sure. Uh, so just just going through some of the better classes there, like guys who I've actually seen and I, I, mm-hmm. I think are, are quality players. Um, look, a lot of these are going to be guys from real small towns, right? Um mm-hmm. uh, Y'all know where Freeport, Florida is? No, sir. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it's it's next to Niceville. Anybody know where Niceville is?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's no help here. All
2: right. So, I mean, no, they, no. up up in the panhandle, like like uh, Fort Walton Beach, Pensacola, kind of yeah. around there. Um, you know, Shannon Carswell, kid who's committed to Southern Miss, you know, good size, 6'4", 285. You know, is he going to be the best pass rusher in the world? Maybe not, but like that's a that's a two-star kid who I I think Southern Miss is probably you know pretty excited to have um, you know a lot of the Mississippi kids actually I, I feel like they do a really good job in their own backyard with you know I already mentioned um, Demarcus Townsend who's I, I think could be a workhorse back for FIU coming off that knee injury probably by the way last year my sleeper we should have done this podcast last year because I was all over this kid named Devontae Price uh, who is real good already apparently for I I can't watch any FIU games because they're all on like. This TV channel I don't get, uh, it seems like, but I'm looking
1: at his stats, and, and Devontae Price oh. is kind of killing it. Mm-hmm. That's probably, Have you all seen him much? Probably the BN Sports Network, by the way. <laughs> our, our readers yeah, are very like, familiar man, wish, with it. I wish yeah. I could watch this. It's, and it's then, a soccer, uh, ch- soccer channel that plays Conference USA games as well. Go figure.
2: Huh. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Other kids who I, I really like this year who are, are actually committed G5 um okay, I already said uh, Rocky Jacques Louis, I think he, he's a, a really really nice player for them. Uh, USF's got a kid Zion Rowland. have you all seen him? Uh, I think he was a Louisville commit for a while and then they flipped him. Um, I've seen him in person a lot and, and I think he's a, a, a damn good ball player mm-hmm. uh receiver who I, you know it, he's a top 600 kid nationally. I, he's really good with the ball in his hands he, he kind of has some some moves uh, like a running back Juwan cherry at Okeechobee's a nice athlete for them. A, a guy who, you know, again, you get the ball in his hands. He's a little undersized. He's like five, eight, but I, I feel like he would do a, a really good job there for USF. Um, trying to going through Houston's class here. Seemed a like
1: really recognized and, and I, I like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Chance Amy's the one for me uh, on that, that Houston class, man. I think he's a completely dynamite, explosive player, and it's a big down oh, year. Oh, the QB, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's a huge down year for quarterback talent in Houston, or sorry, in the whole state of Texas, rather. So I was really surprised Houston was able to hold on to him without much trouble.
2: You know, that's a great point. I, I, I went to both of the big camps there, if I recall, in uh, in Texas here, the, the big Nike camps, and the QB, oof, Uh the best kid that, it, there was was a, a kid from, from California yeah. uh, who who had flown in the the other QBs were were just not real special um oh shoot there is a kid uh, what is his name I, uh, his dad was emailing me um his dad was in the air force this is back when was the super bowls what february uh yeah february um 9th i think Malik Rogers Ooh, that rings a bell. Let's see. He he plays at a school, uh, Shadow Creek, at a Pearland, Texas. Uh huh. He's actually committed to Air Force. I th- I think this guy is going to be, uh, really good for Air Force. Uh, when I saw him, he caught everything. He actually beat some kids with, with some pretty nice offers. Um, hmm. I know he got some offers later this year.
1: Uh, he caught. Where are his stats? I don't know. I'm yeah, I have his offer list pulled up though. It's pretty solid. I mean, he's got a Tulsa offer, UTSA offer, yeah. San Diego State offer, and it has got some Ivy uh, Leagues in there too. It's impressive.
2: I was talking to him when he didn't ha- when I- when he didn't have any offers. What I tried not to look at like kids' offers too much before I go to these camps, you know, like for interview purposes, I need to know who are like the the real real top kids there. But other than that, I try to just like let let the, the play guide me, you know. Um, and he stood out. At, at the Houston camp, I thought he did a good job. Nice. Well, okay, this year he caught 28 balls, but for 709 yards, that's a 25-yard yeah. average, pretty solid. That's pretty good. And <laughs> touchdowns, only played seven games. I don't know if he got hurt or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I like Malik Rogers. Is, is Air Force technically G- G5? I guess they yeah, are. Yeah, they're nice. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so that that's uh, – he was a kid I like a lot. Um, I already said uh, uh, Dratavius Martin is a kid to keep an eye on Watch his basketball highlights as well. And and the one thing, I was out at at their practice one day, and I was filming his teammate, Chris Curry, at Lehigh. And uh, I turned the camera around just so I I could sort of look into it, but he didn't realize I was still filming because I wanted to see, like, is he a kid who just goes hard when somebody out there wearing a a shirt watches him, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, But it's always fun to see, okay, is the kid still going to go hard in reps when when the camera's not on him? Um, Yeah, I don't think he realized I was still filming him. And he was still busting it. That's always a good sign. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the the guys who who don't just put on when, when when the cameras
1: roll. Yeah, and sometimes with those basketball guys, it takes them a while to develop a real you know passion for the game, right? Sometimes they're kind of late bloomers in that sense. So maybe he kind of yeah that spark, right? Oh, um, uh, Malik Van, by the way, kid going to Cincinnati.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I I think is a is a pretty solid defensive end. He's he's out of Fairfield, Ohio.
0: Alrighty, bud. Well, um, I mean, do you have any other things that you'd like to you know? out as far as the signing period I mean it, it's I think you know from what we're talking about I think it's definitely we're going to see a lot of group of five schools benefit
2: from this um, is there anything that you else you really wish to touch on uh, you know I, I'm interested to see like the kind of battles we have after right because you're going to have some schools that didn't you don't get what they want mm-hmm. and then are, are they going to the, the rush to fill the remaining spots I think is going to be fascinating I, I don't I don't follow basketball recruiting a whole lot but I imagine it's kind of the same there, right? There, there's a, a sharpening of the focus, if you will. Uh, and I, I think we're going to have that too. And that's that's going to be really fun to follow. And we're going to try and cover that as best we can uh, on Espionation. I know you guys will do a great job in Underdog Dynasty with it as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. It should be very interesting these next three days. Um, Jared, is there anything you really want to highlight before we get out of here?
1: No, I think I'm all good here.
0: All righty, all righty. Well, um, that was Bud Elliott. You know, you can catch all of his stuff up at um, com, the mothership, as we like to call it. Um, but where else, are they? can they follow you on Twitter?
2: Sure. Yeah, you guys can check me out on Twitter at, uh, at SBNRecruiting, uh, or if you want my more personal one, it's it's Bud Elliott 3 uh, But the the main recruiting stuff is going to be at SBNRecruiting, um, and, uh, and you guys can follow me on there. We also have uh, the recruit letter, which you can just go to the SBNation recruiting page and sign up for. It's a free uh, recruiting newsletter if you want to follow recruiting. We, we have I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's a lot of Power 5 stuff. That's kind of what moves the needle a lot, but we also have some G5 stuff in there. I send it about twice a week. It says daily, but to be honest, I don't want to like you know, just spam people with stuff that's not really newsworthy. Right. Uh, so I, I try to save up the links and, and share them uh, or, or the stories when I feel like I have enough to send a quality newsletter to folks so we don't, we don't you know, load up their inbox with, with nonsense, and yeah. uh, that's free as well.
1: Yeah, so I can, I can vouch as a G five guy. I subscribe to the recruit letter. and uh, I really like that you do a lot of like procedural stuff and a lot of analysis into recruiting itself. You know, it's you still have to focus on the actual recruits. But I think even if you're a G five fan, it's pretty interesting. You kind of pulled back the curtains a little bit on the recruiting process. Yeah, yeah, we we try to because it's such
2: a mystery to a lot of people. Right. Um. You know, mm-hmm. for for most people, they just want surface level. Uh, hey, how is my team doing? <laughs> Did we get the kids three we three wanted? wanted to yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, Bud, thank you again for joining the podcast,
0: man. Greatly appreciate it. I know you've been super busy, so this really means a lot to us in our site. Um, thank you again for coming on, man.
2: Yeah, guys. Enjoyed it. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, man.
0: And, um, before we get out of here, you can follow us at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, like us on Facebook. And um, definitely feel free to let us know if you guys like this recruiting podcast um, edition. Uh, this is the first time that we've done anything like this before. Um, If you guys really enjoyed, we definitely would like to follow up to see if maybe we can get Bud back on here again for the post recap when it comes to signing day. But um, we're going to get out of here once again. Um, Thank you for listening to the Underdog Podcast, and we'll see you guys later.